0: Welcome to another message from Citizen Heights. We are located in the nation's capital where our heart is to inspire hope, remove limitations, and help you experience God's possible for your life. Join Pastors Michael and Heather Giroux in their passion to help you live your best life. We hope you enjoy today's encouraging and uplifting message. Father, we thank you today that you paid our ransom, that Father, you took upon Yourself, the task to treasure us, to love us, to make a way for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And we celebrate this weekend around the globe, the resurrection of Jesus. But in this moment, we commemorate what made Resurrection Sunday possible good Friday. It's good because of the obedience of the Son to the Father. It's good because where there was no way, there now is a way. And as we observe and consider and examine it today, Father, we thank you that you're going to awaken in us a deep gratitude for the deep sacrifice, a willing heart to worship to match the willing Surrender of your own life. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to welcome you again in transition as we consider these beautiful readings that we just heard and the beautiful songs that we sang to surrender and to, to really focus on what this is all about. And I want to read to you Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, and uh, I want to read this as a foundation for our discussion for a few moments. It says in Matthew 16, verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. I want you to say that word with me, must. Say that phrase with me, he must go. He must go. It says that he was explaining to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and experts in the law, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. This phraseology and the selection of words here is not accidental, it's very intentional and. And we read that Jesus was telling the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, and, and the use of language is powerful, isn't it? Isn't the use of language amazing, how you can take words, and, and it's almost the, the selection of precise words is, is an art. It's almost an art form to grab words, because words forge ideas. Words summon concepts, words create images, words invoke feeling and 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 awake ideas and solicit from us a response. And as we read this text, it's truly amazing how the selection and the assembly of nouns and verbs and modifiers, and they all begin to assemble together to paint a picture and just how one word can bring about and prompt so much response and so much examination. And I, 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 I found a word that I'm not fond of in this passage. I found a word that I, I shrink back from, and I wonder if you'd be willing to examine this word with me today. It's the word must. And I see that word must, and I, I first encountered my disdain for the word must as a child. I must admit, I did not need to know its etymology. I did not need to understand its origin. I just understood that I didn't like its use. You must clean your room. You must eat your vegetables. You must do your homework. Through the years, of course, must gets bigger and bigger and it demands more and more. You must graduate college. You must pay your student loans. You must pay your rent. And in recent times, you must social distance. You must wear a mask, right? And which we all gladly do. And now we must stay at home. And here we find ourselves, but the church is not a building. The church is you. The church is, is me. And, and, and we gladly do these, these things for, for the benefit of society, and to get to this other side but the word must remains this thing that agitates are you like me when you hear the word must something about it there's there's a reaction i feel cornered by the word i feel like it's it's cornering me and it's and it's dictating to me it feels rigid it feels dogmatic this word feels like it challenges me as if to direct me as if i don't have choice as if There's someone else that might outrank me. The word must, even the word must, must, musty. You know, just something about it. Even you say a word, have you ever done that? You say a word enough, must, 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 and then you just forget what it was rooted to. It just, it it brings on a new meaning. But as you grow older, everything we attain, we leverage to get out of the must. We leverage the money we make and the relationships and who we know and the networks we find and the power that we attain and we try to leverage all of this to minimize and escape more must. All to realize that sometimes must is necessary. Jesus said in this passage, I must go to Jerusalem. And do you know that is the, lit- the literal meaning of the word must is necessary. Jesus was saying Jesus was showing the disciples that he must, it is necessary that He goes to Jerusalem. It is necessary for us to rendezvous with Jesus here. It was not just necessary for Jesus to go, but it now is necessary for you and I to rendezvous with him at the cross. We must. We must. Because upon further examination, you discover that the connotation of this word must it, it's, not, it's not necessary because there's some outward requirement to be satisfied, but it's necessary if there's ever to be an inward peace lived. There's, there's a requirement for peace, and we find it at the foot of the cross. The cross is necessary. Unless there is a Good Friday, there is no Resurrection Sunday. Unless there is a Good Friday, there is no other side. So why was it necessary for Jesus, and why is it now necessary for us? I want to give you just three observations that we would consider today. First, the cross means we must consider His great love. We must. We must consider His great love. In the cross, God shows us His love. And, and and his love is that thing you know it's it's pronounced in a word but love is more than a word isn't it? Love is action. Love is is a, a deed. I mean, you get married and you say some words, "I do," but there better be some actions to follow because actions speak louder than words, right? You can't get married and just let platitudes and intentions and flattery. It's only going to get you so far. There better be some actions. That substantiate that you are in fact in love. And at some point in our lives we must consider the action of God's love. Good Friday is an opportunity to consider the action of God's love for us. And, and it says in 1 John 3:16 that by this we know love, that He laid down His life for us. This is how we know love because Jesus acted upon that love and laid down his life for us. Come on, he, Jesus acted on his love. Jesus, his love took action on Palm Sunday. Jesus entered into Jerusalem knowing full well that, uh, that his, his uh, as a king, Jesus entered Jerusalem as a king, knowing full well that his throne would be a cross and that his coronation would be a crucifixion. Yet he went anyway. Jesus entered on Palm Sunday into Jerusalem and, and he watched the people on Palm Sunday take off their garments and throw them in the street, knowing full well that those same people would be stripping his garments off four days later. Jesus listened to the same people who sang Hosanna and four days later chanted, crucify me. Crucify him. Crucify him. And yet still he came. The cross is a sign of God's love. He's acted upon his love. Jesus embraced the cross very simply so that Jesus could embrace you and me. Jesus embraced the cross so he could embrace us. And in that embrace, Jesus became sin for us. So that And he became willing to stand for us and took our place in the cross. God showed us his love. Jesus. And the cross is the declaration of God's love for you and for me. The message of the cross, 1 Corinthians 1.18 tells us what the message of the cross is. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, the message of the cross is the very power of God. We must take a moment to consider his great love, we must consider that the cross, it's bigger than your mistakes. The cross is bigger than your regrets. The cross is bigger than the secrets you hide and the sorrows you carry. The cross is bigger than anything else. The cross stands above it all. When the innocent was judged guilty so that the guilty could go free, We stand at the cross because the cross means we must consider and be changed by His great love. The second observation is simply this. The cross means we must find confidence in His great forgiveness. We must find confidence in His great forgiveness. We become confident in his love, but now we become confident in his forgiveness. Colossians 1, 13 says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God's forgiveness. What does that forgiveness look like? I mean, we could reduce it to vernacular that would suggest it's a fresh start, but it's so much more than a fresh start. God's love is more than a fresh start for your life, because fresh starts don't mean much if you're going to just blow it again. Fresh starts don't mean much if you're doomed to failure in every iteration you you try. See, recently... Uh, I, I took on a home project because when you when you love your wife and your wife says there's a project that I need done, there must be action and we have an, an old home about a hundred years old and I was uh, sent to the task of refinishing this this arched decorative window and it's it's very ornate and it's it's got a lot of um, details and and nooks and crannies and it's this old 100 year old oak it's beautiful wood uh, but it was in rough condition and so I was set upon the task to refinish it which meant I had to hand sand it all the way down to the bare wood and then uh, restain it This is what I was assigned. So it took me a week to sand this window by hand, every nook and cranny, every edge, every little ledge, every little piece. And there's so many little intricate details to this window. And so a week of sanding, and there was some uh, flaws and some holes from nails and from decay and some other areas. So I had to do some wood filler, and I filled in the wood. I sanded it down. I filled in the wood, and then it was time to stain it. So I stained the wood and and that's when I discovered that the wood filler I had used uh, rejects stain. It won't take stain. And apparently I've learned that there's two different kinds of wood filler. There's kind that you just paint over and it doesn't matter. And then there's kind that will actually take stain. And so I realized this and I looked at, the thing that I tried to fix, the little hole now was a big blemish and I made it worse. And then I had to go back and sand it all over again, every detail to get back to that place. And, and the second time I selected that filler, I want you to know I picked a filler and I checked twice and then I checked a third time and I checked a fourth time because a fresh start doesn't mean much. If the filler you're using is the same old stuff and everything you try to cover, it just magnifies it and it looks bigger and it's brighter and you can see it from further away. The flaw you tried to cover that I tried to cover. We're just drawing attention to it, and it's more than a fresh start at the foot of the cross. His forgiveness, it's more than that. God's forgiveness doesn't just refresh us. It finishes us. Understand, His His forgiveness doesn't just give you a good day. It changes every day. For day. First, God forgives. Uh, I believe that forgiveness is almost like a two-part thing it's like it's combined and the first part is God forgives what was done wrong what I did wrong what you did wrong what maybe what we did wrong by commission maybe what we did but wrong by omission because the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of God's glory Romans 3 says that's what was wrong we all missed it and we'll just keep on missing it but God forgives what was done part one but then part two God imputes what was done right. He forgives what we did wrong, but he imputes and puts on our account what Jesus did right. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it tells us that he, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. His forgiveness means there's no account of your wrong, but his righteousness understand me, his forgiveness means there's no account of your wrong, but his righteousness means there's a full account of Jesus's goodness in your life. Your account is full, and so you can be confident in God's forgiveness, and you can be confident in God's righteousness. His forgiveness is our fresh start, but his righteousness is our forever rest. It's our forever rest that we can now rest in the power of his forgiveness. We can rest in the completion of his righteousness. That's why Matthew 11 says it this way, come to me all who, are, who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Anybody out there need some rest? Anybody a little bit weary from the storm? Anybody a little bit tired from the weight of uncertainty and the wondering of what's next? It says, I will give you rest and you will find rest for your soul. Listen, there's nothing else that can can get to this part of your humanity and it's by God himself who created us. We don't have to live in the fear of judgment. We don't have to live in the fear of retribution. We don't have to live by the driving force of earning God's favor. I don't have to live under the weight of the debt of sin or the requirements of righteousness. I simply become confident in God's forgiveness. What I did is gone. And God's righteousness, what he did is here and now. And I live differently and confidently because of it. Jesus took a stand for us. So now we take a stand in him. And as we do, the cross means we can be confident that his forgiveness equals our righteousness. Finally, number three, the cross means we must entrust our concerns to his great care. We must entrust our concerns to his great care. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. Cast all your cares. I've invited some help today uh, to, to illustrate this because it says cast all your cares and all your concerns, and, and those things are really at a surplus right now, and so as we, as we see in this, in this box, we've got uh, some cares and concerns, and, and uh, you're going to help me come on over on this side, Chasen, and turn around for a second. Matter of fact, I'm going to direct you a little bit right to here. There you go, and and the Bible says that there's we can cast our cares and our concerns, but but we're not very good at that sometimes, are we? <laughs> but we must, we must get to the place where we can entrust our concerns, uh, but but we don't, and so so we go through life and problems at home, uh, and, and we take those on, and we take some of the weightier matters. Um, Anxiety from work, right? We've got anxiety from this is a big one, Chase. Are you ready? That's a big one. We we have we worry about our parents and we worry about their health, and so and we can't be with them right now, and we're stressed about our kids. That's a big one. We'll we'll put that one in, and we're worried about finances. That's another one. How you doing? Is it getting heavy? Yeah, and we're and there's uncertainty about our future, and and we just load it all up. And and the Bible says that w- there's a weight that we carry, but we can get rid of this. And so much of our life is spent going, I'm going to get rid of one of your weights for you. It's just too much to zip up. But the Bible says that we can cast our cares on him. And, and and it's a decision to let go. It's a decision to release. It's a decision to no longer go ahead. you got to, there's some motion on your part, but it's mostly just letting go and letting God take the weight of all that held us. We can be confident. We can entrust. We can live in His grace. But we must entrust our concerns to God. Proverbs 12 says this, anxiety in a man's heart, weighs him down. There's a weight on your life. But the Bible says in Matthew 11, this is the rest of Matthew 11 that we didn't read yet, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How long has it been since the burden has been light in your life? Have you been carrying things you're not meant to carry? Have you been holding the weight of things that God wants you to release? and trust your concern to him. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Come on, I've got a good word for you today. The word is must. It's necessary. It's necessary to go and and to rendezvous at the cross with Jesus. It's necessary to behold him with his love, his grace, his mercy, to behold him in the agony of, of his death to see the magnificence of his love how great a love there's no greater love the Bible says but to lay down your life for a friend maybe you'd lay your life down for a good person but one who turns their back on you one who insists on going their own way The Bible says Jesus came for you and I. And we must. He said, I must go. And just as Jesus went, we must go. Not because it's necessary for some outward uh, standard to be satisfied, but necessary for my soul to be sanctified. Necessary for my soul to find peace. Necessary to, to let the anxiety be lifted off me. The weight of sin. The remorse of yesterday, the regret of decisions made, the concern of tomorrow and the unknown, all of this, we rendezvous at the cross, and we must meet him there. And as we meet him there, a good word makes him glad I want to give you a good word because of all the motives and all the emotions that could have inspired God to lay down his life for us. The greatest is love. His motive was love. His heart for us is to love us and embrace us and find us even in the midst of this storm. And I want to read to you Ephesians 2. It says this, Now God has us where he wants us. With all the time in the world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and all his work. And all we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make ourselves nor save ourselves God does both, the making and the saving. I've got a good word for you on Good Friday. We must. It's necessary to go to the cross to find a place where Jesus yielded, surrendered, willingly laid down his life and suffered unspeakable torment that Hollywood would never capture so that he could capture your heart, so that he could capture your confidence, so he could be entrusted with your concerns so that He could forgive you and impute His righteousness to you. The cross means you are loved. The cross means we're forgiven. The cross means we can know peace. The cross means that there's mercy every day new. The cross means that He's our provider. The cross means He's our Prince of Peace. The cross means that He's our Commander-in-Chief. And the cross means that He's for us not against us. Come on, the cross means you can rest. The cross means you can love. The cross means you can forgive. I want to pray for you right now as as we get ready to celebrate communion just here in a few moments. I want to pray for you to encounter the greatness of God's love. You're here today and you, you need God's love in your life. Father, we thank you today right now all over the DMV, all over Washington, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, all over the world. Father, wherever we're viewing from today, God, we thank you that we rendezvous at the cross to find your love. We rendezvous at the cross to find your forgiveness. And we rendezvous at the cross to find a new confidence that we can trust you with all that concerns us. So we drop the weight of the things we've been handling, the things we've been holding, the things we've been struggling to bear, Father, we'll be anxious for nothing. But in all things, we cast our cares to you, Jesus. And I want to pray for one more group of people here today. here today and say, I've never, I've never had that encounter at the cross. Or maybe you've had it, but the truth is, you don't know where you stand right now. There's uncertainty in your life. The Bible says that you can know that your Savior and your Redeemer lives. And the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let them be confident. Let them have a boldness and a confidence of where they stand with God. If you don't know where you stand with God, is there any greater day than on Good Friday to say yes to Jesus? I want to pray with you. Just says H- Acts 16 The story of the Philippian jailer, everything began to shake. His world, his job, his reputation, physically, his own, just in danger as an earthquake, shook the prison which he guarded. And as he ran to Paul, he said this, what must I do to be saved? What is necessary for me to be saved? And Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It's that simple. I'm going to pray a simple prayer with you right now with every eye closed, wherever you're viewing from. I'm going to count to three, and when I hit three, I'm going to invite you to lift your hand. And by lifting your hand, you're saying, Jesus, I I need you in my life. Jesus, I believe that you lived, that you died, that you rose again on the third day, and that you love me and have a plan for me. Are you ready? One, don't wait. Today is your day. Two, don't think that you have to get your life in order to be attractive to God. You're attractive just like you are, but he loves you too much to leave you where you are. Are you ready? One, two, three, just lift your hand. You might be in a room full of friends. You might be in a room with family. You might be all by yourself, but you lift your hand right now because you know the answer. You lift your hand right now because you want to surrender to say, Jesus, I need, I need your love. Jesus, I need your forgiveness. And Jesus, I need to be able to offload some of the cares that I've been carrying and I've used all the wrong fillers and everything I do makes my problems worse. It's time to surrender to Jesus. Let's pray with these. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I give you my life because you first gave me yours. I love you, Jesus, because you first loved me. So I surrender all I am, all I used to be, all I hope to be, and I put it in your nail-scarred hands. Thank you, Jesus, that you love me that much. Thank you, Jesus, that you haven't given up on me. In Jesus' name, now say this boldly. I am a Christian. By grace I've been saved. In Jesus' name.